So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These... <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. That's a really good question. Um... The sculptor doesn't put their slab of clay or whatever on their plinth and then start doing the eyelashes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, it's like gushing over your back. That's <laughs> <laughs> for everything. <laughs> yeah. This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. Yeah. <laughs> we're here first. We're going to... Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. It's me, Jamie, as per, and joining me today is the award-winning international best-selling author, Sue Moorcroft. Hi, Sue. Welcome. Hi, Jamie. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. How's it going? How has 2022 treated you so far? Um, a bit mixed. I'm, um, I had made lots of notes. I did have a break at Christmas and I'd made lots of notes to come back to so that I could write the first two chapters you know return to two good chapters and I did that that was wonderful last week and then this week I realized I had no real memory of what happened before those two chapters so I had to go right back to the beginning and sort of edit it and and write myself notes and stuff and so a bit better now thank you (laughs) well it's it's one way to tackle it you know with a with an abstract timeline yeah I, I I my my process changes book to book but my favorite at the moment is before I begin writing a chapter is I do a load of scribble about it getting down my thoughts and then it doesn't matter if things are in the wrong order I can do arrows and stars and asterisks and stuff Um, and on this occasion it kind of worked almost too well Um, (laughs) I forgot I forgot on the threads yeah but well okay he's done that but why (laughs) you couldn't find the arrow from like previous page no (laughs) That was it. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting that you're always changing and adapting um, your style. And usually, I mean, you've written a lot of books. Uh, mm. It's uh, romance, uh, contemporary romance is is your sort of genre. Yeah. Have you ever dabbled in, in other genres? Well, I wrote, before I ever sold any um, novels, I wrote a lot of short stories. I stopped counting at about 150 Wow. And they were mainly they were f- mainly for the magazines. Mm. And um, so they tended to be more family drama. And my first two novels were more family drama, but they had a romantic, quite a strong romantic element. Um, and as it happened, I ended up rewriting both those books for other publishers and made them a bit more romantic oh, still. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I do like there's always a love story in there, but it's never the main sort of thrusts um she always has her own story and he always has his own story um and I do tackle some fairly uh difficult subjects sometimes yeah. um the last book to come out was in last October which was under the mistletoe and that tackled um historic sexual assault or in inverted commas was it just horseplay um and agoraphobia and bullying um and generally uh, the whole family dynamic of of like loyalty when you find out something awful about your sibling and have to come to terms with it and where do your loyalties lie um and if you thread a romance through that if you thread a love affair through that uh it's it almost writes itself in a way because it becomes um, almost like putting a jigsaw together. I think that's probably a bit of a hackneyed um, 
analogy, but it is because there's got to be logic. You've got to build up the whole picture and this bit won't work without that bit. And there's always something that's driving it along rather than, you know, I don't write the kind of romance where the hero and heroine just permanently are getting together and falling out over minor misunderstandings. There's always Mm. something quite big in there. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, it sounds that the way you've described it there, uh, it sounds very intense and dramatic, but but there mm. is definitely a, a an uplifting feel good element to yes. your, to your writing and things like that. Always a happy. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, uh, always a happy ending. Always, yeah. but yeah, I just yeah. like to put them through the tortures of hell a bit first. Yeah, yeah um, of course. And I I do leaven things with some sort of. I was so thrilled with Woman and uh, Home gave me a fantastic review for this book and said it was packed or full of wit and wisdom. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's that's what I that's exactly what I've been aiming for for the last 20 books. And finally, somebody's noticed. Um, (laughs) That's a great review. Yeah, yeah, it was. It really was. And I I suppose, you know, like to to try and there's a lot of Christmas in my Christmas books and a lot of summer in my summer books. um, And to sort of always keep that feel good feeling going i have weapons in my armory and in this there was a 14 year old girl called daisy and she had um she often wore sweatshirts with funny sort of logos uh you know um like like um yeah underestimate me that should be fun for both of us and and things like this so we've always got something there's often an animal in there who's quite funny Snobby oh, the yeah. Pony was in this one, yeah. um, who has been in quite a few books, actually. He's getting so old now. I think he's probably the oldest living pony in the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, quite a few of my books are set in the same village, uh, which right. exists only in my head and on my map and on my website and in my oh, books. Do they um, do, do, set in the same village? Do Do many of the characters, other than the pony, uh, and reoccur? <laughs> Um, it, yeah, some, some. Uh, I don't try and have a full ensemble cast for every book by any means, but you sure. do tend to see. We well, tend to see the people who own the pub, but that does change as well. Um, <laughs> it's always that, the people that own the pub. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's one pub, there's one cafe, okay, yeah. one garage, uh, and one village shop. Mm. Um, and so periodically, those people change because it suits me for some reason. I've just changed one of the guys at the pub for the book I'm writing now, which is next winter's book. Uh, so it'll come out October 2022. Yeah. Um, and I've just changed him because I realised that I had a Freddy and he was already a Ferdy. And so that wouldn't work. And I was I was already too wedded to Freddy, who is not the, not the hero. He's the foster brother of the heroine. I so see. I couldn't have a Freddy, a Freddy and a Ferdy. So I sent Ferdy off to Pastures New and got the other, got a new, yes, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) because his co-manager met somebody else basically and wanted to work with him. So that's, that's the reason sometimes that people change is plot. Points. that's cool i really like the you, you have this sort of ecosystem this imaginary ecosystem this world which sort of grows and evolves and changes and like i'm assuming it's not necessarily relevant to to know and be very au fait with the world and like who, are, no. who runs the pub and things like that but it's a nice touch for people who are reading all the books and they say oh there's that person who was in the other one and 
Yeah, it's that's nice it. Yeah. It's a bit like um, I describe it as Midsummer Murders without the murders. But <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder why anyone would ever live in Midsummer when everyone's yeah, getting murdered. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, it's much nicer in my village, which is called Middledip, <laughs> because lots of people fall in love oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and have happy endings. So that's much better. But yeah, yeah you you do just see these. There's there's a guy called Gabe who um, is a retired bank manager. Has never cut his hair since he left the bank, and he lives in the small holding, and it's his pony. And he comes in quite a lot because he's the guy. He's the type of guy who a would be good to everybody, and b he lives alone, and so he tends to go into the pub quite a lot. So mm-hmm. if you go into the pub, he's very likely there at the bar. Um, so yeah, these these things. They amuse me, and my brother helps me. He's retired, and he helps me keep the what we call the middle dip Bible and keep some of the continuity. So he, <laughs> he runs a spreadsheet for me, so I know who's oh, been in which book and how old they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you're um, working on next October's book, which will be yeah. um, another sort of festive winter. Christmas That's called uh, A White Christmas on Winter Street. Very nice. So how many Christmas books have you written at this point? Um, um, that's a question I didn't expect. I think that will be the, <laughs> the seventh. The um, seventh. I think that, yeah. And so I do a summer book, a winter book each year. So the next book that comes out is called Summer at the French Cafe, and that comes out on May 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's set in my favourite region of France. You won't, you won't be surprised to hear it's set in France, will you? Um, <laughs> which is Alsace. And uh, I love it. It's, it's um, Luckily, I, I couldn't get there last summer. So I've set a book there before. I've been before. I've got a library of photos um, and memories. And I know a couple of people who still live there um, who would answer questions. So um, I've written it that way. But mainly, I if I... A lot of my summer books are set abroad, and I like to go to the country in question um, and do the res- do the research. And uh, I think I know some authors do all that through YouTube and can imagine themselves there. But I like to really visit real countries if I can, yeah. and I, I think I always add authenticity. Yeah, um, I spoke to someone once who she she was the same, and she um, she went to do her research at the places, and she said one of the things that that you you can never find online or through books or anything like that, which is so integral to uh, really describing what a place is like, is ha- is what the food tastes like and and what it smells yeah. like when it's being cooked and things like that. And yeah, something so unique, and if you've been and you've tried it and you tasted it, you have a much better chance of being able to translate that into into prose. I think it's that kind of authentic detail that really lifts a book. Hmm. Um, smells as well, and the insect life. Um, yeah. You know, if if you're uh, if you when I was in Florida, I wasn't writing a book about Florida. I was just at Disneyland, like everybody else. <laughs> I noticed I hardly saw any insects. It was weird, but I noticed it. Um, it just seemed like the swimming pool never seemed to have like its coating of wasps in the morning and, and stuff like that. Um, but then if you go to Malta, uh, which is the home of my heart, I was brought up there for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, I always think I can smell goat's cheese when I'm there oh. and um, things like that, you know, and the, and the rubbish is emptied so frequently because it's such the, the densely populated areas are so densely populated and so many people are living in apartments that um 
it would be unpleasant insect wise and and you know animal wise rodent wise if it wasn't emptied all the time so you're always queuing behind the rubbish truck wherever you go <laughs> well ups and downs i guess but yeah, yeah. it's with those unique things that yeah you can't you can't get that sense on on uh on youtube or online or in books or no, no matter what you do you need to go there to to find yeah. those kind of quirks and those unique things and yeah. stuff yeah that's what that's what i tell the tax man as well <laughs> so um you write a summer book and a winter book every year. And, yeah. And and not only do those books come out in in those uh, seasons, but the, the seasons themselves are, are kind of tied to your summer books are set in sunny yeah. um, locations and the winter ones are all Christmassy and yeah. festive and, and, and that. Uh, yeah. That must mean that your deadlines are quite tight for when you need to get things done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thanks for mentioning that, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they are, um, my publishers are fantastic. I'm published by um, the imprint Avon, uh, which is part of HarperCollins. So mm. they're very big and professional. And um, I will keep in touch with them if I am struggling with anything. Like last summer, I had COVID and I had it quite badly. Um, I was, I was, I didn't work for a month, which is unheard of. I was, you know, pretty much um unable to get out of bed for nine days I was, wow. and um I only worked part-time for two weeks after the month was up so yeah. that's a big chunk and yeah. they just said what do you need we'll put the back, book back a couple of weeks but what else do you need just tell us you know and I said well I've already had to cancel a conference I was going to and cancel a serial I was writing for my weekly so that's going to help but really I just need you to be flexible and work around me uh, mm. and, and kind of leave me alone as much <laughs> as you can. Um, because also, you know, you're always talking then about, I was already talking to them about the promo for Under the Mistletoe and we would normally be booking in events, but that isn't quite such a thing at the moment. Yeah, I've course. gone back to, a, you know, I've done a couple, that's all uh, in-person events. Um, and they were brilliant and we worked around it and they used to, you know, people do get sick or they get bereaved or whatever, you know, they, they have something happen to them. Somebody in the family gets sick uh, and they have to cope. So they're very good at that kind of thing. But having worked for magazines for so long, mm. I don't like missing deadlines. It really <laughs> just, you know, I just in my head have a mental magazine editor saying, but what about the rest of us? That's not professional. Um, so I got it in on time. In fact, I got it in three days early. Wow. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> when, when you first started, was it, was it always something you wanted to do was write a summer book and a winter book? Not necessarily in, in one year, but like, no, not really. No. How did you end up in that kind of routine? Well, I've been with other publishers. My first book was published in 2005 and then I rewrote it last year for Avon. Uh, so it changed title. It's the same story, but, mm. you know, it it taught me something because people sometimes say, so over time, do you think your writing improves? And you almost don't want to say yes in case it makes your early books sound like duds, you know. Yeah. But I can say it has. I've made some really rookie errors, um, yeah. sort of te explaining things four pages after they've happened and, and things like that. And um, so that was my first novel. That was with a company called Transitor. And then I went to a library pub type publisher called Hale, 
Then I went to a small independent for seven books, um, chocolate, and then I went to HarperCollins. So it wasn't until I went to HarperCollins that I began this pattern. And that's where a roll of the dice, in my opinion, went in my in my uh, favor, because um, Juliet Pickering is my agent at Blake Friedman, who you've already done a really interesting um, yeah. podcast with. And yes. she was kind enough to mention me frequently, <laughs> which was great. Um so when I first started working with her, I gave her three possible ideas and she liked one that happened to take place at Christmas. And at that time it was called The Twelve Dates of Christmas and she didn't like that title and it was just as well because I think five books with that title came out the following year. Mm. Um, it just so happened the next book I was writing was a summer book and it just so happened that Avon an author had moved on who was filling that slot of a winter book, a summer book, just as Juliet rocked up with mine. And um, so, you know, it took more than that. Obviously, they had to like what I was writing and feel that I was promotable and that I was editable and, you know, could stick to deadlines and all the things they need. So uh, we, we had a, a couple of publishers to choose from, which is always very nice. And we found Avon the best fit. And I've been there ever since. So I think... Um, I think Under the Mistletoe was my 11th book with them. Wow. 11th or 12th, anyway. So, yeah. So, you know, the first thing they did was take me to number one on Amazon with The Christmas Promise. So it tended to set things up for a really good relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll put you in good stead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From the get-go. And you mentioned Juliet did come on and we chatted to her and she, yes. she talked about your your kind of impact on what she's been doing. And she she mentioned that you had... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, as you said, you'd been with a few other publishers. I think you'd had yes. a different agent beforehand. I had, yes. And then you sort of taken a break um, from from the industry for a bit before before meeting Juliet. What what happened then? It wasn't a break from the industry. It was a break from having an agent. Okay, right. Um, I lost my son very unexpectedly. Oh, I'm sorry. And thank you. And um, I didn't think I'd ever write another novel. Um, Oddly, I finished the novel I was writing and I've never opened the file again. But again, I think that was just that must hit the deadline sort of, um, you know, attitude. And so I did other things. I wrote a lot of short stories and serials and I got commissioned or I had the offer of a commission to write a writing guide about writing romantic fiction. And I was also teaching romantic fiction, well, teaching all kinds of stuff for the London School of Journalism and writing some courses for them and also for Writers News Home Study. And I somebody got me into a university and I was teaching there, all of which amused me because I don't have a teaching qualification at all. <laughs> so I think I'm meant to call it tutoring. And this um, made me think, and I'd never reached, I'd never had a really good result with my past agent. Uh, she's a great agent, you know, big London agent. Um, big London agency but we just never quite made it work we got quite close and so I went and saw her and said I think I would like to leave your flock 
because um, I don't think I'm going to write novels anymore. And she didn't agree with me. She thought I would write novels. And I had two that she hadn't been able to sell, but we'd really got like this close, you know. Yeah. And um, so we reached an agreement what would happen if I was able to sell them myself. And that did come to pass. Um, and then I rewrote the Hale book for the new publisher. And then um, sort of contract on the table, I discovered I could write novels again. Um, but that 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 was what Juliet referred to as the break, yeah. really. Um, so then I stayed with Chocolate, and altogether I did seven books with them anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like they weren't big enough to get me the next big stride, which was into supermarkets, uh, which is highly competitive. So um, I actually originally um, contacted Juliet's colleague, Carol Blake, who's sadly no longer with us, and she said she couldn't represent me, but she'd shown what I did to Juliet and Juliet would like to talk to me. And it just went from there, really. Um, and we've been, you know, um, she's she's gold dust to me. She's yes. really excellent. She is, yeah, you know, she's great. So that was it. Yeah. Well, no, it's interesting. It's always interesting to see because there's a lot of a lot of I mean, everyone in publishing, uh, no matter whether they're writing or they're working in the in the industry around it has such a unique story with ups yes. and downs twists and turns like it's such a it's it's one of those industries where there's not really a set clear path uh, I agree time. I agree yeah so it's yeah interesting to know. but what is also very nice about it is I don't need a degree in order to be successful at it indeed and one of the other wonderful things I find about writing is you know I've interviewed people on this authors on this podcast um from like early 20s through to mid 50s and you know debut novelists no matter what age you are there's it's never too late to be writing your first novel that's one of the things I love so much about uh, writing and, and books and things like that I, I agree yeah I really do I mean particularly age can be an advantage in some yeah in sure. some you know if you if you write sagas and historical well perhaps <laughs> perhaps not so much historical you'd have to live a long time but i i used <laughs> to be friends yeah <laughs> i used to be friends with a novelist who said to me she said to her publisher um i think i'd like to write a second world war book how do you feel about it and they said well do you feel up to doing the research because she had um some you know long term degenerative illness and she said, I don't have to do the research, darling. I lived through it. And they went, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great industry. And, and speaking of, speaking of, you know, uh, the veterans of the industry and the, and the, the newer generation, and you, you have written courses and guides and, and taught at the School of Journalism, what advice uh, would you give to people who are just thinking about picking up a pen or perhaps they are looking to reach out start sending their work out to agents and publishers um well do you mind if i do two or three like bullet points you can do as many as you want to okay (laughs) i could be here for a long time i have written (laughs) written a lot of words on this subject um well i think the most important thing is to persist Mm -hmm. it didn't happen for me overnight it took me 30 goes to sell a short story um you know and then uh, let's see. It was it was it was twenty years between selling my first short story and being number one on Kindle. So, um, you know, and making a proper living at it. So you do have to hang in there sometimes. Yeah. Um, educate yourself, and that doesn't mean you've got to do a creative writing degree. I haven't got one, as I just mentioned. But 
um, whatever, however you learn best, whether that's classes, online courses, uh, reading books about it, going to uh, a group, whatever it is, you know, do it and, and keep educating yourself. Um, there are free new newsletters for play, from places like the bookseller that tells you all about who's moving around in the publishing world and what genres are doing well and what awards are available sometimes. Um, learn about publishing as well as writing is one of my favorites mm -hmm. because too many people do do what you just hinted at and write the book and then have no idea what to do next. Yeah. So that's, that's, it must be, you know, incredibly demoralizing. Um, and grow another skin uh, because, <laughs> unfortunately, rejection is part of any creative industry. In my experience, I have friends who are dancers and actors and singers, and it's exactly the same for them. You don't get every gig you go for. Um, and even when you do, sometimes it's not a success. I also found it very helpful to have a spouse who had a regular income. <laughs> I could see how that could be useful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but don't let that put you off anybody if you don't have that. Um, um because now what goes around comes around and and he's retired and I'm the main breadwinner so. <laughs> <laughs> it's only fair, right? It's only fair. Yes, 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 absolutely. Amazing. That's really great advice. And I often ask people what advice they would give uh, and when it comes to writing, so much of the time it's just like advice that you can apply to most aspects of your life as well. Yeah. And I've always yeah. found that about writing. And uh, some of my friends have started getting into writing or like people I know. And I always say, just try it because if for nothing else, it's just a very like cathartic thing. Well, for me at least. And I, it, it's sort of really good for my mental health in some ways. You just get your kind of emotions and feelings down on the page. Yeah. And it gives you in the you know particularly the first part of lockdown where everything was being cancelled in, yeah. including, you know, holidays abroad writing retreat abroad and and stuff like that um it gave me somewhere to escape mm. and in middle dip or wherever you are in my books people can still hug kiss go to the pub yeah. you know um only dentists and doctors wear masks and and like <laughs> that so um it's it's been a real escape that way and some people will only ever write for themselves I, mm -hmm. I hate to use the word hobby. It sounds so patronizing, but write yeah. for their own pleasure. And I think that's that's perfectly valid. Um, you know, other things we do for our own pleasure cost so much more um, exactly. than yeah. a pad and pen. You know, if, if you wanted to learn to skydive it's, or scuba dive, it's <laughs> going to cost you a fortune. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always, it's one of those things that people often, I've heard like, said around a lot when people when you mention oh I, I you know I'm a writer or this that the other and then people who generally um you know don't know how the industry works or haven't like you looked into it themselves uh will, will say oh where, where can I get the book like when's it getting published um and there's this kind of weird uh assumption and I always compare it to sports where it's like you don't need to write to to get something published necessarily if you don't want to no one's playing like organized five-a-side football because they think they're going to become professional football players. No. You know what I mean? I agree completely. I, I really do. I, I wrote two books early on that um, 
I did have the temerity to send them to publishers. <laughs> they send them back pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and they're in landfills somewhere now, I expect, <laughs> um, because it was even pre, uh, you know, I was writing on an electric typewriter. Oh. And um, But those two books, I, I, I had a certain amount of time because my youngest went to nursery. So that was like four hours a week. And one night a week, my husband went out. So I sort of kidded the kids. They wanted to go to bed early. And that was that was my writing time. Those four two blocks of four hours, basically a week. Yeah. And I have never enjoyed writing anything more. I had no <laughs> no idea that what I was doing wrong, um, and it was a lot that I was doing wrong in terms mm. of putting together a story. I was almost writing down my daydreams. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I completely relate to that. First thing I ever wrote was not good, but I had so much fun writing it. When you don't mm. that. It, as you were saying, you should definitely look into how the industry works and study the craft a bit. But there's definitely a magic to writing when you are in complete isolation and you don't know all these things. Yeah, yeah. I, I have. I was in a conversation on Facebook the other day where authors were saying um, how anxious they get about sales figures, which you know I'm I'm with them there. That's yeah. that's my living right there is yeah. in sales figures. Um, but I said, but whatever job I did, I'd be anxious about performance and results, surely. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be just going, you know, oh, there we go. I've lost that client's money. That's fine. It's his money, not mine. You know, it, everything is a problem if, if you don't get the results. So I think everybody should just, who wants to have a go, should have a go and enjoy it. And if they want to get published, try and get published. And if they don't want to get published, don't. Yeah. Yeah, just approach it however you want to do it. But I've, yeah, I've always thought that with writing, you have to enjoy it. If you're not enjoying it, then... I Why are you doing it? Yeah. 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 Take, yeah. A, take a step back. Yeah. yeah. There are times, you know, when you do have a contract, there oh, are yeah. times mm. when, you know, like last week, well, this week, really. What day is it? Monday, last week. <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, sorry for everybody listening. It's not Monday. It's whatever day Jamie puts this out. Um, <laughs> so last week, I, I, you know, the book turned to treacle. It really did. But I know how to, I, I, you know, I have a number of strategies to get it going again. But mm -hmm. it wasn't really an option to do nothing for the week and just wait for inspiration to strike. Yeah. So that is the difference, particularly if you are writing, you know, quite a lot of words a year yeah, yeah 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 and one school of one school of thought i've heard on if it does get heavy or if you get um you know writer's block or whatever form that takes with with you as a person is that just force yourself to write and even if you scrap everything you write at least now you know where it's not going you know the chapter it's yeah. going to be and that yeah. will help you find the right one it unlocks something doesn't yeah. it just just to yeah. write i i like to scribble by hand to get things going as i mentioned earlier but mm. Also, I will sometimes hop forward to a scene that I'm looking forward to. I know yeah. it's coming, uh, and so I'll hop forward to that. But this, on this occasion, it wouldn't work because I couldn't remember what I'd written very well. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever do it? You know, you lose control of the threads. I couldn't think how things linked up, you know. Yeah. Um, but now I know. Now I know. And now so, you know. yeah, yeah, I've rewritten the first chapter and – I've made more conflict here and stuff. So, yeah, I'm happier now. I've got going again. Amazing. You're on the right track. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Well, that's great advice and um, uh, just just great, just very interesting to hear your opinions on writing and, and, and the industry overall. 
And that brings us to the final question, which is, Sue, if you were stranded on a desert island, but you could take one book with you, which book would you take? I would take a big empty notebook and a pen. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but a more, a more serious answer, I would take Neville Shute's A Town Like Alice because um, I've reread it and reread it and reread it. It was the first, when I say adult book, I don't mean X-rated. I mean, <laughs> you know, written for adults. Yeah. Um, I watched the film with my dad and I know that I wasn't 10 yet because I hadn't moved to Northamptonshire where I live now. I was living in London. And um, he said, I've got the book of that. It's in the bookcase in the hall. So I went and got it and I read it. um, And that was my first. And I've read and have and keep everything of his. Um, I'm rebuying them as audio. And um, yeah, that's a lifelong. I mean, he's a bit dated now. I don't always approve of his. Uh, condescension to women mm-hmm. um, but actually at the time you know he died before I was born so that's not that unexpected really yeah. um, and at the time he was a real rock star author he made tons <laughs> yeah that, that's really nice it's nice that you have that personal connection to it mm. um, as well was the uh, did you consider the book superior to the film um, yeah a, a book always is. I'm, always I'm not. Is, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm not much of a movie or watcher person. My, my, all my watching really is uh, takes the form of Formula One because I'm a mad addict. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, documentaries. I'm not. Yeah. I love fiction in my reading matter, but in mm. my watching matter, not so much. I'm always trying to rewrite it. I think or. Or, you know, I annoy my husband by saying, if he's watching a film, oh, well, if he said this, then that will happen. <laughs> How yeah. do you know that? Well, he didn't say it for no reason. You don't put something in there for no reason in fiction. Yeah, exactly. It's all got to hang together. So, yeah, so I, I, I get a bit ahead of them with, with uh, movies. But, um, yeah, that is a fantastic book. Amazing. Well, that's a that, that's a great choice, and um, thanks uh, thanks again, Sue, for coming on and and sharing all of your experiences and your thoughts uh, about your writing and, and and publishing. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And for everyone listening, if you want to keep up with everything that Sue's doing or just uh, have a look at everything that she has written and created, you can head over to her website, suemorecroft.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Sue Moorcroft or on Instagram and Facebook at Sue Moorcroft Author. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again, Sue, and thanks to everybody listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>